Thanks for joining me for this special episode of Cleveland Baseball Mornings. To wrap up the entire Milwaukee Brewers series, the final, it's Milwaukee taking two games to one over the Cleveland Guardians in the weekend series. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and the road trip is over. I'm back on the home mic. Doesn't that audio quality sound a lot better? And I'm ready to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And you know what? I was, you know, you know, I was traveling. It was hard. I, I, I listened. I watched as much as I could. You probably watched more of this series than I did. So uh, we're just going to start right there. It's also a lot to cover in an episode. I'm trying not to make this an hour and a half episode. We're going to cover three games. We got a few emails that came in over the weekend. So we're going to get to all that. But just initial thoughts, initial thoughts on the weekend. First, I love that. Cleveland fans packed progressive field, right? Friday and Saturday night, you had over 30,000 in the ballpark. Anyone that tells you that Cleveland isn't a baseball town, that Cleveland doesn't get up for this baseball team, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I know, I know we don't average in the high attendance stats, uh, you know, compared to the rest of Major League Baseball. Cleveland is very, very upfront about their baseball fandom. Look, if we're not gonna we're not gonna go in April and May. We're not. The weather's terrible. We're just not gonna pack the stadium in April and May. It's not gonna happen. You could start the games at six instead of seven, which I actually appreciate. Uh, you could do whatever deals or discounts you want. It's so, the weather is so lousy. We're not. When it starts to get nice in June, when the summer hits, when school's out, big series come up on the weekend. We're gonna pack the ballpark and. When this team is actually winning and actually being competitive, we are there. I mean, look how much that place was rocking in the playoffs last year, right? That place was thumping in the playoffs. And uh, this, so they show up for this weekend series. And I can't tell you how many times, how many times I've seen a huge crowd turnout to start a big series and the Guardians throw up an absolute clunker of a baseball game. And that's exactly what they do on Friday night. So that's frustrating. That's maddening. I mean, the town finally shows up for the team. And the team doesn't respond. For some reason, the, the crowd can't uh, motivate a win out of the team. Especially with your ace on the mound. Come on. Come on, Guardians. You get, the timing on these things is important. Uh, if you want to win over... Uh, you know, these younger fans, uh, you got to take advantage when they're in the ballpark and put up a good game. So I know it's completely random. It's completely out of their hands, but it's just, I can't tell you how many times, especially over the last maybe 10 years when I've really been paying attention to it, when attendance has you know been an issue that we've discussed, uh, how many times this seems to happen. So uh, other initial thoughts, I- I've seen some back and forth on Twitter. And honestly, I had a hard time getting recording this morning because I wasn't sure how I felt about this series. Now, there's some people on Twitter that are going, hey, we went 4-2 and two over the homestand. That's pretty good for a homestand, right? We should take that. But then I think about the quality of the wins and the quality of the opponents. And Oakland is a joke. Oakland is an absolute joke right now. And uh, we should have swept them. Milwaukee is on our level, and it would have been really nice to have won that series. I would have really, really have gone a long way to win that series. Now, on the other side of things, I think to myself, we split the first two games, and we went to the 10th inning of game three. So so literally, this entire series came down to a run. So am I going to let a one run that could have gone either direction, you know, change my opinion that much of this team? Ah, see, that's where I get hung up on this series because it kind of does. It kind of does. I When we talk about whether we should trade Shane Bieber or not and when we talk about are we going to be aggressive, are we going to be buyers at the trade deadline or should we should we push to win the American League Central? I look at series like this and I think to myself, like, it's one thing to beat up on Oakland and everybody's excited that we've got all these games against Kansas City coming up before the All-Star break and we very much could just be in front of the division because of that. But is that 
going to mean anything come crunch time, come October, when we're facing the best of the best. And so these series throughout the throughout the year are that measuring stick to say, can we hang with the best of the best? And I guess I guess we hung with Milwaukee. We did. We came to one run in the extra innings of the third game. But it really would have been nice to beat them. It would have been nice to win this series and, and would have given me a lot of confidence to say, no, 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 no. We this this team can't compete. They can. Uh the other thing. The other thing that was frustrating about this series, I know we do score first on Sunday, but then Milwaukee jumps out to a big lead. And all weekend, we let Milwaukee get out in front. And then we had to come back. We couldn't come back on Friday night. Uh, that, That one got out of hand fast. I mean, three batters, that thing got out of hand fast. Saturday, we do. We do. Bybee locks it down, and we do come back. Sunday, we tried to fight back into that one. We tie the game, right? We tie the game. We we make it back, and then we can't finish it off in extra innings. So all weekend, that was a theme that ran, a storyline that ran through all these games, was letting Milwaukee get out in front and having to play from behind and putting that pressure on ourselves. So it would have been nice to have been the team playing out front. It would have. Again, it would have given me more confidence in this team being a contender if they were to have played a few of these games from in front and held that role that Milwaukee held all weekend. All right, so let's get into the specific games. Let's get into the details. And again, I'm not going to do a full half hour on each game uh, because there's some things that pretty quickly stand out in each one of these games. And in Friday night's game, the final was Milwaukee 7, Cleveland 1. And I think we all knew what happened in this game. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Things... Bieber was pitching great, was pitching great. Yes, they get to him for a run, but then he shuts him down, four shutout innings after that, until the sixth inning. And, you know, I don't. it wasn't his pitch count. His pitch count didn't get that high. He only throws 82 pitches on the day before he's taken out of this game. Uh, he only gives up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hard hit balls, which, frankly, for him this season is an improvement. Uh, he goes, his final line is five innings pitched, five hits, four earned runs, two walks, eight strikeouts, and a home run given up on 82 pitches. So it's not the worst line ever, but my God, did those hits come at like the worst time and man, did his location really let him down. I mean, he was doing such a good job of keeping the curveball down, keeping the slider down. Uh, keeping everything down. I mean, looking at the illustrator here, he was even throwing that cutter to the lower glove side corner of the plate. And man, things change in a hurry. And he gives up some big stuff in the middle of the plate, uh, including the double to Rowdy Telez, which comes on a four-seam fastball, basically middle-middle. And then the Willie Adamas home run, he hangs him a slider, middle-middle, and he hits that thing at 109.2 miles per hour out of the ballpark. So uh, four of the five hits he gives up. Uh, William Contreras also in the sixth inning, that single right to lead off the inning. So all three of the hits come from middle-middle. I'm talking the same like plane, the same horizontal plane, middle-middle. Uh, Contreras got him for a double in the first inning on a fastball that was middle-middle. A uh, little bit lower than the other three. And then the other hit came from Willie Adamas in the first inning. Uh, he went down and just poked one. Uh, it was a forcing fastball uh, down, uh, down on the uh, glove side edge of the plate. And Adamas gets a single uh, off of that one. So, uh, I mean, Bieber does such a good job. All these strikeouts, all these strikeouts coming below the zone. A, uh, Joey Weimer strikes out on a slider below the zone. A knuckle curve to Jesse Winker. Uh, Telez goes down to a knuckle curve beside, below the zone. Willie Adamas on a slider. These are these are in the dirt, basically. These are at their feet, and they're swinging over this slider in these knuckle curves. And, man, then suddenly he just sixth inning puts one in the middle of the plate, and the game changes that fast. So here's the thing about Shane Bieber. His stuff is is good. His stuff is still so good. 
with the velocity on that fastball, right? Averaging 91.9 on the day. 91 point, sorry, 91.1 on the day. Averaging 91.3 on the season. With that fastball, that low 90s fastball, when his when he's hitting his spots, when his accuracy is sharp, Bieber is still as effective as anybody in the league. But when you put one middle middle, and especially when you don't have blow it by him kind of stuff, right? When that you know some of these guys their fastballs hit 97, 98, and they can live, they can survive that. When you don't, you're gonna get crushed, uh, especially at the top of their order, their third time. Through the lineup, you're going to get crushed at that location. So, I mean, it sucks because Bieber is having such a good game. Listen to the whiff rates on some of these pitches. The slider had a 78% whiff rate, seven whiffs on nine swings. The knuckle curve had a 60% whiff rate, six whiffs on 10 swings. He had a 41% whiff rate on the day, a 35% CSW total. Man, he was having a good game. Uh, but yeah, uh, he's just not going to survive, uh, falling into the middle of the strike zone like that. Uh, so, uh, it's something to keep, I keep an eye on, I guess. Uh, it's obviously something Bieber has to, uh, maintain. He's got to maintain his location and hitting his spots for the entire start. Uh, and I don't, I don't think we could blame, maybe, maybe, you know, he did pitch deep into the game. I think his last outing, right? Didn't he go eight innings his last outing? So maybe at 82 pitches, he was getting tired because he went so deep into the game his last time out. Maybe he was. I I don't know. But, uh, man, location matters so much to what Shane Bieber does. Uh, On the other side of things, Wade Miley threw a no-hitter against us uh, before, uh, was ridiculous, was good, was good without super effective stuff, right? Again, uh, another another pitcher does this to us. He lasts six innings, gives up only three hits, no runs, no walks, only three strikeouts on 67 pitches. Man, he doesn't even last that long into the game. And he's, uh, I know he's coming back from an injury, I believe. He's only hard hit six times. But the whiff rate, listen to this whiff rate. It's five whiffs on 35 swings. It's a 14% whiff rate. It's a 28% CSW total. Uh... They actually were hitting his cutter. They put seven cutters in play with an average exit velocity of 98.3. So they actually did his cutter hard, which was his number one pitch. Everything else they didn't hit hard. It was only an 87.6 average exit velocity on the day. So maybe it's bad bat bit. Maybe it's just swinging at bad pitches. I don't know. The uh, the Guardians just they put a ton of balls in play. They just had nothing to show for it off of him. I mean, the offense, pretty ice cold. Pretty ice cold on this day. Uh, you know, Arias is in there uh, for, uh, I know because uh, Brennan was hurt. You know, Brennan was kind of nursing that shoulder a little bit. Although by the end of the weekend, seemed fine. So uh, Arias is in there against uh, Miley. And, you know, we talk about those reverse splits against the uh, left-handed pitchers. And he had to face a bunch of lefties. Uh, this weekend, he finally gets to face a righty on uh, Sunday and has doesn't really have much to show for it. So the offense doesn't do much. Uh, the solo home run by Jose Ramirez was fun. It was a nice home run, but I mean, came way too late. You're already down six to nothing at that point. A solo home run is not making much of a dent on the win probability line there. So a disappointing loss for the Guardians uh, on Friday night. Uh, then we move on to Saturday's game, and uh, once again, Milwaukee jumps out to that early lead, 2-0 lead, but the Guardians do fight their way back into this one. This is the one where Christian Yelich, uh, and they didn't like let, you know, it wasn't errors that were letting run score. I don't even know if he gets credited for an error in any of this, but uh, it was the one where he bobbles a couple in left field that do allow some runs to come in to score. Um so the Guardians fight their way uh, back into this game. Yes, Yelich was credited with one error in this one. Uh, I'm assuming it was probably like a, a hit with an error that allows the runners to advance type of situation. Um, this is also the game where uh, the Milwaukee scores first because of a David Fry error in right field. 
I'm like I'm rebooting my brain to this game. Uh, yeah, Fry playing right field. You know, circles behind it. He's he's trying so hard not to do the thing that we yell at all outfielders about, which is to get burned by taking your first step in to play back behind the ball. And he tries so hard to stay behind the ball that he actually, you know, has to make a uh, kind of a catch at his at his waist, at his you know, at his knees, kind of a leaning forward catch. And uh, the ball just goes right past him. It, it's a very awkward looking catch from a catch attempt from David Fry. Look, one of the things about Fry is he does give you a little bit of flexibility because he can play multiple positions, but that doesn't necessarily mean he could play multiple positions well. I don't think anyone's going to be trading for David Fry to make him their starting right fielder. It's nice that in a pinch with Brennan Hurt, uh, Fry can at least go out there and competently uh, handle the situation, but the ball will find you and errors will happen, and that's what happens to kick off the scoring uh, for Milwaukee in this one. So do I 100% blame David Fry? No, he doesn't have the experience out there. Do I blame Terry Francona for starting him out there? No, uh, Brennan was hurt. If Brennan could go, he would have been out there. We all know that. And it wasn't the type of injury where you need to put him on the 15-day or the 10-day IL. He even comes in late in this game as a replacement, right? Uh, and then starts on Sunday. So in a situation where you're trying to give a guy a day or two to have a utility player like Fry who can just go out there uh, and I would say catch any fly ball, but clearly not that one from Telez. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't blame anybody. It's an unfortunate situation. We're not going to see Fry out there very often. Uh, you know, unless a guy stubs their toe or does something like Brennan did, uh, we probably won't see Fry out there very often. Um, the other things in this game. So, uh, yeah, we go down to nothing, uh, but Bybee pitches really well, really well. I mean, six innings pitched, three hits, that's it, three hits, two runs, only one earned because of the error from Fry, four walks, yep, that, that, that is a problem there, but seven strikeouts on 105 pitches. He's only hard hit twice. Think about that. He's only hard hit twice. That's kind of impressive from Bybee. What was working for him in this one, going over to his pitches, uh, he actually got some decent whiff on the four-seam fastball. 38% whiff rate, eight whiffs on 21 swings on a four-seam fastball. That's kind of impressive. Uh, the changeup was very effective. A 83% whiff rate, five whiffs on six swings. Uh, so it's a 37% whiff rate on the day, 35% CSW total on the day. That fastball was good. 13 called strikes on that fastball. They put seven in play, but an average exit velocity of only 87.1. So that's that's pretty darn good. There's They're in the zone contact rate against this fastball was only 58%. So that's a lot of swing and miss in the strike zone with the four-seam fastball. Uh, you know, he reaches, he maxed out at 97.7 on the velocity on that fastball. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. He averaged 95.2. That's something Shane Bieber can't do. And he's had to adapt as a pitcher. Being a young guy, Bybee can still do that. And uh, you can see the effectiveness uh, when you can hit those kind of velocities. Uh, so good pitching performance from Bybee keeps us in the game. And then this one, man, we won. But God, I was so frustrated. Uh, Freddie Peralta in the fourth inning. It is absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous that we only score one run in the fourth inning. There are so many base runners. We load the bases twice in the fourth inning. We load them twice and have one run to show for it. How is it? Mathematically, if you didn't watch this game, you'd say, Davey, that's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. Well, no, the Guardians found the one way to do it. So it starts with the Steven Kwan. Single, Rosario draws a walk, Ramirez draws the walk. You got bases loaded, nobody out with Josh Naylor, your biggest RBI guy up. Frankly, he doesn't take a terrible swing. It's a pitch that's out over the plate. He just grounds it right to the shortstop. They turn the double play. Kwan comes across to score. But, man, 
That's just a gut punch right there to your offense, not coming up with something more than that. Even even a sack fly or something like that, the double play where the run comes in to score, you don't get the RBI on that one, Josh Naylor. Uh, but then you still have that runner on third. You still have Ahmed Rosario hanging out at third base. Josh Bell draws a walk. Andres Jimenez gets hit by a pitch. It'd be twice, be the second time, or sorry, the first of two times in this series. The other would come in the 10th inning on Sunday where Andres Jimenez is hit by a pitch where I don't want him to be hit by a pitch. It doesn't help the offense for him to be hit by a pitch there. I want him hitting. I want Jimenez swinging. It's one thing in a situation, and I guess I'll just jump ahead to Sunday, right? It's the runner on second base in the 10th inning. First base is open. It's two outs, they hit Jimenez, and it brings up Miles Straw. If it were a situation where it was runner on first and you hit Jimenez and it moves that runner into scoring position, okay, at least it did something for our offense. But in this situation, you hit him by the pitch, that runner is still on third base. I'm still trying to get that runner home. And uh, good point on the highlight, I was when I was watching it back, they mentioned that if this doesn't hit Jimenez, if he's able to get his foot out of the way or it, you know, it just misses him, it's probably a wild pitch, and that runner from third is coming home to score. But instead, they hit him, they load the bases, and David Fry strikes out. Now, he would get some redemption, because at this point, by the fourth inning, this is looking like a really bad day for David Fry. But he would get some redemption his next time up. He would get an RBI single in the sixth inning. So we make it a 2-1 to game there, but then we come back and rally, and those guys that let us down in the fourth inning get the revenge in the sixth inning. Um, it starts with Amin Rosario single, Jose Ramirez single. You got their first two guys on. Josh Naylor comes up with the big hit. He shoots one over to Christian Yelich in left field. I think this is the one where Yelich kind of bobbles it a little bit or misplays it. Amin Rosario comes in to score uh, after a. Uh, so you've tied the game there. Uh, and then after a Josh Bell flyout and an Andres Jimenez strikeout, now it is David Fry up to be the hero. And he hits one to left field to uh, Yelich, and Jose Ramirez comes in to score on this one. Uh, so they do get it. They do get their two RBI hits. After both Naylor and Fry failed in the fourth inning, they do come back and get some revenge there in the sixth inning. So we uh, we had a chance to knock Freddie Peralta out of the game early. Instead, uh, we have to do it uh, in the fifth inning off of him. I think think those runs all get credited to Freddie Peralta, even though they do go to their bullpen at some point in their sixth inning there. Um, it should, man, we should have we should have made this such a worse day for Freddie Peralta. I think they said the fourth inning is like a terrible inning for him. Uh, and so that was the inning where he gives up all the walks and lets all those guys on base. Um, let's see if uh, Baseball Savant has those splits by inning here. Um Yes, so the fourth inning, he's carrying a 771 ERA in the fourth inning. My God, the most walks he gives up is that inning. He's got a one, his whip isn't the highest. A 1.57 whip, though, ain't great. Uh, so, the yeah, the third and fourth innings, he's, he really gives up a lot of base runners in those innings. Um, the only reason his ERA is down in the third inning, ready for this? So he's given up 12 runs in the fourth inning and 12 runs in the third inning. But in the fourth inning, he has a 7.71 ERA. In the third inning, he only has a 3.77 ERA. You say, how is that possible? Well, he's given up only six earned runs in the third inning. He's given up tw- six, six earned and six unearned runs in the, 12th in-, in the third inning. So that's how the ERA could be so different and yet, man, the third and fourth innings, he really, really struggles. Second time through the lineup, probably. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's interesting right there. Uh, he also has a seven ERA in the sixth inning where we knock him out of the game. So uh, the numbers don't lie there, and uh, that's kind of how this game goes. So it's nice to see the offense get back into things. Uh, Andres Jimenez would finally get his RBI hit. Um, this is the one where both Yelich and the center fielder, Joey Weimer, kind of both converge on this little bloop shot, and uh, the ball skips away from them, and uh, who comes in to score? Tyler Freeman comes in to score. Uh, this is the one where they credit Yelich with an error because it allowed Jimenez to advance to second base. 
Uh, so that makes it 4-2. And our bullpen went to work. I mean, Eli Morgan with a shutdown 7th inning. Stefan with a shutdown 8th inning and 2 strikeouts. Class A does give up a hit in the ninth, but 2 more strikeouts. And the Guardians walk away with the win on Saturday. A late afternoon Saturday game. So it was a nice win. It was a really nice win after going down those two runs. And then Sunday, oh boy, uh, you score first on a Josh Naylor solo home run in the bottom of the second inning, but they come back in the top of the third and they put up three runs. So talk about winning the inning. You know, sometimes we talk about these things aren't straight up and down. Sometimes these things are a diagonal. And here you go, bottom of the second to top of the third, Milwaukee wins the inning. So, I mean, nice to see Naylor flashing the power. It's always fun. But the three runs, Savali kind of loses it in the uh, third inning. And it's a shame because he was pitching so well on this day. Again, another start uh, from one of our veterans. Almost the same thing that happens to Bieber. But this time it's not at the end of his start. It's kind of right there in the middle. And uh, it's top, the bottom to top. They turn the lineup over. Weimer with a single. Yelich doubles. He hits one in the gap. Owen Miller doubles off the right field wall. Uh, I know one uh, was one of these a hanging curveball because Savali was doing such a good job of keeping his curveball down, uh, hitting the corners with his curveball, but he definitely hangs one here in the middle of the plate. Uh, Yelich's, uh, no, it was a cutter to Owen Miller that he hit for the double. Uh, it was a sinker uh, that Christian Yelich hit for a double. Uh, was it the Rowdy Telez curveball? That's what it was. Telez singled, uh, drove in another run, and uh, that was on a hanging curveball. On an 0-2 count, by the way, that one kind of sucked. Uh, you know, Savali, again, was doing such a good job of keeping that curveball down, and then on an 0-2 count, he just absolutely loses it and uh, hangs this one to Telez. It drives in Owen Miller to score. Um, so that was a shame. On a pitch that was so good for him on the day, uh, to give up the hit right there. Uh, going over to the player breakdown page for Savali. Let's see exactly how good that curveball was. 57% whiff rate on the curveball. It was no joke. Eight whiffs on 14 swings. Uh, they only put four in play. Uh, yeah, it was such a good pitch. Uh, getting him to chase outside the zone a little bit. They had an O swing percentage of 43% on that curveball. So they were swinging outside of the zone a decent amount, and they only had a 17% contact rate out there. So really getting some good swing and miss on the curveball. But when you hang one, when you pull one, I was even above middle-middle. I would say that's middle-up, and Telez jumps on it uh, and hits that uh, hits that RBI single. Uh, so, But that would be it. I mean, Savali would, would lock it down after that. So the box score doesn't look great, but it still is a pretty good start. Uh, I take that back. He does give up. Uh, he gives up a run uh, in the fourth inning as well. Uh, going back to the uh, scoreboard here. Uh, he does give up a run to the Milwaukee in the fourth inning as well. So, okay, he doesn't shut it down from there. He does give up one more in the fourth inning. A walk to Monastero. Uh, Perkins with a single. And then Joey Weimer with a sack fly. So he does give up one more run in the fourth, but it was a fairly competent start from Savali. You saw the good stuff in there from Aaron Savali. Yes, did they get to him for some runs? Yeah. Uh, He gives up over six innings pitched. He gives up six hits, four earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, no home runs on 94 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Um, So not a dominant start, but... You know, he battled. He battled. There were some really good pitches. There were some really good strikeouts. Frankly, there were some really good curveballs from Savali. Uh, as your fifth starter, that's that's not terrible, right? That's not terrible. He actually matches Corbin Burns pretty well. I mean, Burns goes five and two-thirds. He can't get through the sixth. Uh, gives up eight hits on the other side. Four and runs as well. Two walks. Three strikeouts. Uh, and a home run given up on 99 pitches. He's only hard hit five times, but does give up the runs, does give those runs back to the Guardians. And it all happens in that sixth inning. So once again, the Guardians have to come storming back. And uh, they do it in the sixth inning. Starts with a walk. They walk Jose Ramirez to kick off the inning. 
Uh, Naylor would pop out, but Andres Jimenez puts a triple off the wall and right center field. Uh, big hustle play right there. Uh, and then this was the, a huge hustle play here. Tyler Freeman draws a walk uh, on a wild pitch. Andres Jimenez comes in to score, and Freeman goes first to third on a wild pitch. I love it. I love it. I actually thought, you know, I think to myself sometimes, why don't we see that more often? Uh, when a, if, if you hit that second base bag at full steam, uh, I think there's, there's probably more chances than people think of getting to third base. So I love the aggressiveness from Freeman. I love him buying in to the super aggressive base running style we have. We've seen before, it doesn't always work. In fact, is this the game where, uh, yeah, Amin Rosario gets thrown out at second base in the first inning trying to be aggressive? Uh, he hits one, a bloop, that gets past Monasterio, a Monasterio at second base. But Monasterio is able to gather it and fire a strike to second base. Amin Rosario, trying to be aggressive, just gets thrown out by half a step going into second. So, Sometimes aggressive base running will lead to outs, but I'd rather be aggressive than timid. And Tyler Freeman right here in the sixth inning, huge. Huge getting all the way to third base. And then Will Brennan is able to uh, knock a single in the left field, bloop a single in the left field, and Freeman comes in to score. And we tie the game up. So awesome, awesome base running right there. Bo Naylor would single in this inning. Hey, Naylor had two hits in this game. So that's, that's nice to see. Starting... Maybe starting to find it. Maybe we'll just we'll just leave that out there. Still, still not a huge storyline offensively yet is Bo Naylor, uh, but it's a big leap. It's a big leap, and uh, you know, some of our young guys are still feeling it, including Gabriel Arias, who struggled against a right-handed pitcher, which I was excited to see him face, and he doesn't have much to show for it on this day. So uh, Naylor would single to try to keep the inning alive, but Kwame would ground out to end the threat. Now the controversy in this game comes in the eighth inning. And uh, Freeman once again gets the inning going with a single. And he had been so good up until this point of the game. And then Terry Francona decides to pinch run Miles Straw for Tyler Freeman. Now, I saw the numbers that people posted online. Like, the speed metrics between Freeman and Straw, there's not much there. Uh, Straw is slightly faster than Freeman, according to sprint speed, according to all the StatCast data. They're right next to each other as far as the Guardians' top runners go. The Freeman's right behind them on the roster. So, clearly he puts Straw in to try to steal a base. But, it takes Straw forever, forever to get that stolen base. He doesn't steal during the Brennan at bat. Brennan flies out to left field. Late in this game, uh, Milwaukee would have a chance to steal, and they would go on like the first pitch. No hesitation. Uh, was that in the ninth inning? Uh, off Class A? Yeah, Blake Perkins would walk, and then boom, steal right away off him. No hesitation. Straw takes forever to find the pitch he wants to go on. And when he finally goes, Gabriel Arias gets called for... Uh, for catcher interference, they say his back grazed the catcher as he was making his throw. So Straw initially would have been safe on the steal attempt. On a 3-1 count, has to go back, try again on a 3-2 count. Arias would strike out, and they would gun out Straw, stealing second, because everybody in the world knew it was coming. Like, I... It was a, it was a bad decision, probably, to even pinch run Straw. Uh, if he's not going to be aggressive and go, right? If Straw is that hesitant to steal, wh- what are we doing putting him out there as that pinch runner to steal? Like, that's clearly why he's going into the game at, with a runner at first base. This isn't waiting until someone's in scoring position and thinking you can get that run home from second. This is clearly to get him to second base. I, I don't know if Freeman is a big base stealer or not, Uh, but Straw is supposed to be. And uh, then the game, like we talk about this all the time. You've heard this, you've heard the term "the ball will find you," right? When you're in the outfield, the ball will find you. Same thing up the plate. Like the game will find you. Uh, Freeman has one stolen base each season, uh, 2022 and 2023. What about in the minor leagues? Is he a big stolen base guy? 
No, nah, he's got 19 stolen bases a couple, uh, you know, once. Uh, yeah, not much of a stolen base guy in the minor leagues, really. Uh, over his entire minor league career, he's stolen 58, been caught 13 times. But that's over six seasons in the minor leagues. So you're looking at less than 10 a season. Um, I guess, yeah, looking at less than 10 a season. Uh, so the game will find you. And sure enough, the game finds Miles Straw in the 10th inning. So they get the job done in the top of the 10th. Stefan goes in with that runner on, gives up a double, gives up one hit, a double, and of course it's Owen Miller facing his former team, has himself a good game, two doubles on the day, two RBIs. Uh, look, Owen Miller's hitting 283 for Milwaukee with a 731 OPS. Could we use a little of that on this team? Maybe. I still don't think Owen Miller... Uh, I, I still don't know what the future would have been for Owen Miller on this team. Like, I still don't think he was a decent first baseman. You have so many guys clogging up those middle infield spots. Unless Owen Miller was willing to learn a corner outfield spot, I don't see what the future was on this team. And I don't think in the long run we're going to be that upset about losing Owen Miller compared to some what other guys might be, right? Uh, we might be more upset about Nolan Jones's and Will, uh, Will Benson's and... Uh, the Caminero, the young guy that's in Tampa Bay's system, that's like a top twenty prospect in baseball right now. We might be more upset about those guys. I don't, I don't think Owen Miller, but he does come up with the big double off uh, Trevor Steffen, uh, jumped all over him, hits a double high, high off the wall in uh, left field. The fact that they actually had to review it to see if it was out would have been a home run in seventeen out of thirty ballparks. Um, so uh, we come up in the tenth inning. And, man, just some bad at-bats. Some bad at-bats from your Cleveland Guardians hitters here. Uh, you know, a lot of people thinking that maybe uh, Ramirez and uh, Naylor were trying to be heroes. Ramirez doesn't see a pitch in the strike zone. Not one. Seven pitch at-bat, not one in the strike zone. And he uh, he strikes out on a sinker in the dirt. And then uh, Naylor comes up. One pitch, one pitch that he fouled off, a slider in the strike zone. Six pitch at bat, again, one pitch in the strike zone. And uh, he strikes out swinging on a slider way inside on him, way inside. So two bad at bats there. Jimenez gets hit with the, hit with the pitch, and that brings up Miles Straw. Uh, Elvis Piguero is the pitcher on the mound. He's trying to jam Straw inside with hard sinkers, uh, 94, 95 mile per hour sinkers. The first one he takes for a ball. The second one is up. He offers at it. It jams him inside and does exactly what Pagero wants. Jams him inside and pops him up. The catcher doesn't even have to leave the dirt to make the catch and uh, end the game. What was Straw doing hitting in that 10th inning? What was he doing? You had Josh Bell on the bench. You even had Fry on the bench. What was Straw doing bad? I didn't understand. I'm sitting there racking my brain going, Straw's coming up. Why aren't they pinch hitting for him? Why? He was in there to run. He wasn't in there to hit. And now when the game has found him, yeah, you leave him in for defense. You hope the rest of your lineup can come up with that go-ahead run at some point. They don't. So now Straw's forced to bat. Why, when you have two hitters on the bench, would you leave Straw in there? I don't understand it. So... Uh, two maddening decisions from Terry Francona. Now, here's the thing. that People freak. Like, God, I hate, I hate the fact that I'm even on Twitter sometimes because you just hear the most outlandish takes, right? People that are just done with this team because of Terry Francona's decision-making. Look, he's a Major League Baseball player, Straw is. He should be able to no- steal a base. He should be able to come up with a hit every now and then. Uh, I, I'm not burying Terry Francona because he left Straw into this, or he put Straw into this game in the first place and then left him in. Uh, things would have gotten interesting defensively, I guess, if you take Straw out of the game, but Brennan could have slid back. Uh, it could have been done. It could have been done. But, uh, yeah, I just, it sucked that this game ended on a mile Straw pop-up. So, there you go. There's the whole series. Um... I, I think the Guardians showed some decent things in this one. I like that the offense fought back. It's just you put yourself 
in that situation three days in a row. And it's really hard to expect your offense to come back three days in a row. Uh, I don't really think there was too much to fault on the pitching side, except for Bieber really letting that game get out of control. On Friday night, I thought Bybee and Savali gave you competitive starts uh, for the rest of the weekend. And Bieber was great until that sixth inning. So I, I don't think anything is to blame on the pitching side. Once again, you just needed a little more offense out of this team. And you just couldn't find it when you needed it. All right, so that's all my thoughts. MVP on the series? I mean, that's really hard. As Was there anybody who was consistent offensively for all three games? I don't think there was. Uh, so I guess I'm going to go with uh, Tanner Bybee as MVP on the series. Uh, he had the best start of the three and uh, and got the W because of it. So uh, Bybee is my MVP uh, on the series. All right, let's jump into these emails really quick. Uh, got an email from Kyle. Kyle is a first-time uh, emailer. Oh, he said uh, he goes by Barrio. Uh, so uh, Barrio uh, checking in with us. Doesn't say where he's writing in from, uh, but says some really nice things about the show, and I appreciate that, Barrio. Uh, so keep the emails coming. He said, I grew up loving Cleveland sports, but the Guardians have captured the majority of my attention in the last two years. I've made it up to the ballpark four times already this year. Okay, to my question, do you think the Guardians could take the Central this weekend and hold on to it till the end of the season? Obviously, he wrote this uh, Friday at the beginning of the Milwaukee series. I've been thinking about the AL Central and how the Guardians have a real chance to run away with the division with how they've been playing. We can all tell that something's changed since the St. Louis series, maybe even the Baltimore series. As we look ahead to the Brewers, I can't help but think this could be where we take the AL Central and not look back. There's 16 games left before the All-Star game. With 10 games against Kansas City and the Cubs, should be all wins, but more likely we go 7-3, and 8-2. and two. I would hope that between Atlanta and Milwaukee, we can go 3-3 three and three or 4-2. and two. All said, I'm optimistic that we can put a couple of games on the Twins going into the break and carry that till the season's over. Keep up the good work, Barrio. So thank you. Thank you for being a first-time emailer. Keep it coming. Uh, you know what? Uh... By the All-Star break, yes, I agree with you. Obviously not by the end of this weekend, no. Uh, But by the All-Star break, we can. We can take control of the American League Central. But the question still remains the quality of the wins. Uh, So if we are beating up on Oakland's and Kansas City's and Chicago Cubs, uh, what's going to happen against teams like Atlanta and Milwaukee? uh, You know... I would like to see some more series wins against teams like that before I'm feeling super confident in this team holding down the American League Central. The other thing, the other thing is uh, what are the Cleveland Guardians doing against their own division? So that's been a problem a little bit this season. Uh, You know, it's one thing to beat up on these teams, but when we actually have to face the Minnesota Twins, we kind of need to beat the Minnesota Twins. And uh, if we're not doing that, then can we, you know, can we really say we're going to hang on to this, uh, to this division? Uh, so looking, I want to see what the numbers are so far for your uh, 2023 Guardians here. Uh, let's take a look at the schedule and results because um, it'll tell me what we're doing against each individual team. So, so far against Minnesota, we're four and three. Okay. I actually didn't expect that. I thought, I thought we were losing the season series against Minnesota, but we're four and three right now. So that's, I mean, that's the number to keep an eye on. Uh, Things are going to, we're two and four against the Detroit Tigers, which isn't great. Uh, Not great to see. We're two and four against the Chicago White Sox. So winning games in our own division is one of the reasons the Guardians are always able to win the American League Central Division, right? That's usually what gets us up there into the playoffs as a division winner. Uh, so we'll see how they continue to improve uh, You know, playing their own division. If they can keep beating Minnesota, that'll be big on the season series. But yeah, it would be nice to see them have a winning record against some of these more competitive teams out there uh so we'll see what what happens against atlanta uh we'll see 
what happens uh, against the Cubs and as we run into the All-Star break here. But uh, those are some things to keep keep an eye on to see if the Guardians really can hold, you know, capture and then hold on to the American League Central. So thank you, Barrio, for the email and keep them coming. Uh, Jeff with a G, uh, he hit me up on Twitter. Uh, he uh, he also made sure to email this in, so I saw it. Uh, I this is actually impressive. Uh, I didn't double check this, but uh, someone had tweeted out that the MLB F WAR leader at third base since 2015 has always been Jose Ramirez. Remember, F WAR is the WAR that comes from Fangraphs. B WAR would be Baseball Reference. F WAR would be Fangraphs. Uh, Jose Ramirez has really been the leader every single season since 2015. Uh. And then this person tweeted out, pretty funny how he isn't ranked as a consensus number one third baseman going into every season. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, we here in Cleveland know. We know. Uh, The rest of the world, he's he's still a little bit of a secret to the rest of the world, it feels like, isn't it? Like, they know to respect him when he comes to the plate. But when it comes to these off-the-field conversations, these, you know, all-baseball conversations, these all-star game conversations... Why isn't Jose Ramirez the starting third baseman for the American League this year in the All-Star game? I don't know. Uh, it just doesn't get the respect nationally. So, Jeff, thanks for uh, bringing that to our attention. Jeff with a G. Uh, Marlon uh, checked in. He had his game reactions, uh, but he did check in with a trade proposal. So I want to talk about this, Marlon. He said, if Will Brennan's shoulder injury causes him to miss extended time, do you see Cleveland signing Will Myers? Uh, well, we learned that Brennan's shoulder is not going to keep him out. But uh, he said once he clears waivers and recovers from the kidney stones, okay, uh, he hasn't played well this year, but he has pop in his bat, is right-handed, and can play outfield first base. I don't know. I don't see Cleveland going uh, to pick someone up off of the scrap heap uh, when they've got so many young guys that they're trying to get playing time for, right? It just If there's someone that they aggressively want to trade for that's having a good season, uh, the way they brought in Jay Bruce, you know, a couple of years ago uh, when they were in those playoff runs. Um, I could see something like that. I don't see a Will Myers or another another one of these guys off the scrap heap to try to get a little bit of pop in the lineup. They would have made moves like that in the offseason if they, if they wanted that in their lineup. I think it's pretty clear they want to see what Arias and Freemans and guys like that can do in the lineup, and they need the playing time to do it. Uh, he said about Shane Bieber trades, if Cleveland trades Shane Bieber this offseason, I'd like to see them trade to Seattle for Harry Ford. I watched him for the first time at the World Baseball Classic and came away very impressed. Cleveland's catching depth behind Bo Naylor is awful, and Seattle already has Cal Raleigh. They can both catch to keep each other healthy and fresh throughout the season. Marlon and Birmingham. Uh, you know, I checked into this, and... Uh, uh, he is the Mariners' top prospect, Harry Ford. He's a catcher. He's playing in high A right now. Uh, he's 20 years old. Um, you remember, he played for uh, for the UK team. He was the story of the UK team uh, in the World Baseball Classic. Um, his grade, he's a hit 50, power 55, run 60, arm 60, fielding 50, and a 55 overall. Uh, he was their first-round pick in 2021, 12th overall. So, obviously, someone Seattle covets uh, very much. Uh, it's an interesting choice uh, for a trade target there. It, we do need to continue to bolster depth at the catching position because you're right. It is important to keep that coming up through your system. And by the time Harry Ford it would be ready for the major leagues, you would assume Bo Naylor would have already established himself and that they could, uh, you could figure out some kind of time split. You are going to need another catcher coming up behind them around that kind of timing. Uh, here's the thing, though. Seattle is 37 and 39. They're nine and a half games back in the West. They're probably not going to be buyers. And they're probably not going to give up their top prospect unless they had a legitimate chance at winning that American League West uh, or at least being one of the top wildcard teams. They're four and a half games back in the wildcard. So they're kind of in the same boat we're in, but they don't have the division that we're playing in. So I, I understand that you like Harry Ford as a player, and it's someone to keep an eye on, definitely, but it's got to be the right timing. And I think you have a much better chance with some other teams, like a Baltimore or something like that, that has a ton of young talent 
uh, to see a trade for Shane Bieber happen. All right. I think that's all my thoughts on this Cleveland baseball morning. I do have, I do have one more thing. One more thing. Uh, the MVP on Friday night probably would have been Willie Adamas. I mean, right? He went off uh, Friday night against us and uh, with two home runs. And uh, I just I looked this up really quick. And remember, he played for a while at Tampa Bay. So he's faced Cleveland a bunch. He's a pretty good player against us. He's got in 15 games, 14 starts, let's just say 58 plate appearances. He's a 300 hitter against Cleveland, a 386 on base, 560 slugging. It's good for a 946 OPS against the Cleveland Guardians. So he's a pretty good player. He's even better when he's playing at Progressive Field. He is a 333 hitter at Progressive Field. This is in 42 plate appearances, 10 games. 333 hitter, 415 on base, 667 slugging for a 1.018 OPS, an OPS over 1,000 when he's playing at Progressive Field. So when he went off Friday night, I, I went to check those stats, and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This guy, something about Progressive Field, I don't know what it is. Maybe he gets a few Cleveland pierogies in him, and he just turns into an all-world hitter. So, uh, yeah. I thought that was an interesting number uh, that you should be aware of. Aware of. So the next time Willie Adamas comes into Cleveland, you're going to be prepared for it. Uh, you're going to be ready for it. So that's all my thoughts. It's a tough series. It's a tough series. Luckily, we do get to reset against Kansas City, and we get to keep some good vibes rolling, uh, hopefully against the Kansas City uh, team that's, again, like Oakland, one of the worst in baseball. So uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. And thanks for understanding with the travel and stuff like that. There's going to be a little more travel this summer. So we might have to do this again. Uh, just do an entire series recap. Uh, so thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Even though this episode is coming out very late. This episode's coming out more around Cleveland lunchtime, frankly. Uh, so whenever you get a chance to listen to this, you know, it's an off day. So I figured maybe you'll listen to it tomorrow morning, too. Uh, thanks for joining me. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I'm loving the, the interaction we're getting on the in the email inbox, so keep it coming. Thank you to our new emailer, Barrio. Uh, also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>